Good morning, everyone. Let's uh, pray and get started. Lord, we are sitting under the truth of your word. You have created the world and created us through your word. And you are saving us through your word. Your word is power. An immeasurable, unspeakable power. So Lord, it is a privilege and a blessing to be under it today. We pray, may the truth that is being shared not be concepts or abstractions. But may these words be a force, a power that opens our minds, that stirs our wills, that reforms our emotions so that we will see truth for what it is, so that we will become people of truth. This is a great work and the miracle of God. We ask for that help this morning. All these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so I haven't done this in two weeks. So I have two weeks worth of pent-up sermon. So get comfortable, kids, because... I think we're going, to, we're going to be a while. No, it's not going to take that long. Trust me. So, um, I'm a good dad. I'm trying to be a good dad. And, you know, you've got to do a lot of family stuff. So, I did a lot, a lot of family stuff when my kids were younger. But, you know, they're older and, you know, they have their own lives. So, we don't do that many family stuff. But, a couple of months ago, I think uh, Labor Day was it, we got to do family stuff again. And I took, and what does a pastor do with his kids on day off? He takes them to the Museum of the Bible. Yeah, baby. You know what I'm saying? Even my free time is holy. Shame on you, right? So I took my kids to the Museum of the Bible. And it was wonderful. Expensive, but wonderful, right? Um, you should all go. But the most memorable part of the Bible, of that museum, was this quote that I read. Right? I think it's in the fourth floor. And that quote says, and the quote, that, that quote says, the Bible is the most accurate map to the human heart. Once again, the Bible is the most accurate map to the human heart. And I go, that's right. There is no other book, no other document in the history of mankind that perfectly describes the condition of man than the Bible. I read a lot of philosophy. I read a lot of uh, psychology. But nothing compares to the complex description of what man is in the Bible. Especially in Genesis. We were, we were in Genesis for the last couple of months. If you look at the first four chapters of Genesis, it clearly teaches us, shows us, what exactly is wrong with mankind. What exactly is wrong with humanity. Why are we so messed up in this world? Genesis teach, clearly shows us what the, what the cause is. And of course, the cause of why everything is messed up, according to the Bible, according to Genesis, is sin. Now, the purpose of the first three four chapters, our study in the first four chapters of Genesis is, one of the main purposes is, is that I want you to have a more sophisticated understanding of sin. I think for a long time we carry around a definition of sin that is not complete. Right? I think in our minds, we can't, in, our, in our minds, the definition of sin is, you know, immoral behavior, right? Doing bad things. Certainly, immoral behavior, doing bad things, is certainly part of sin. But that is not what the root of sin is. In order to fight sin, you got to know what the root of sin is. And according to the first four chapters of the Bible of Genesis, 
the root of sin is self-determinism. Right? I get to decide what is right and wrong. I get to decide what is acceptable and unacceptable. I get to decide what is true and false. God designed the world so that He is true and everything that He created is true. He created the universe and this earth with certain laws and those laws are truth. We ignore those laws and we become self-deterministic individuals. That at the root that is the root of sin, and that is the root of what is wrong with the world. And we will see today, according to Genesis chapter 4, it is that root of self-determinism that caused Cain to kill his little brother. We know this story, if we're raised in the church, we know this story. We, we, we learn this story. We think Cain killed, Cain killed Abel because you know, he was envious, and that's partly true. But the reason why he is envious is because of this root cause of self-determinism. And we will unpack that today. Let's go. Someone tell me I should, like, whenever I, okay, people in the back. If I say, let's look at verse 1, I hope verse 1 will be in the back. Here we go. Let's go to verse 1. <laughs> Alright, let's go to verse 1. No? Alright, hopefully, what verse 1 will be there? Verse 1, what does it say? Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and the word know here is, you know, I'm sorry? Oh, yeah, yeah, right? The verse one, the word know here, right, knew Eve, his wife, it means sex, right? We all know this. So that he, he had sex with Eve, and what happened? She conceived and bore Cain. When baby Cain came out of Eve, nine months after, right, nine months later, what did she say? She said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I don't, I, think, I don't think the English translation does justice to the sheer miraculous joy that Eve is expressing in these words. Think about it. Cain was baby number one. He is one of billions and billions and billions. He is number one. He is the first human being that came out of a woman. All Adam and Eve knew was each other, right? For the human beings, like they were already, they were made and they just knew each other fully formed. But this was the first time a living human being came out of that. And when Eve looked at the fat little baby Cain, she goes, oh! what did she say? This is a man. The word man here in verse 1 is ish. Right? And the word ish means of same substance as Adam. So this baby is the same substance as my husband whom the Lord created. This miraculous human being came out of me with the Lord's help. The word help here means, it doesn't, it's, it's not just help. Our definition of help is, you know, we can do something, you know, our help is, we can do it, but we're too lazy to do it, so someone helps me. Right? For example, like, I can make my own food, but I'm lazy, so I go to the restaurant and I'll serve, like, I'll get a waitress to help me eat. Right? The word help, we think, is something that would just help us of something that we can do for ourselves. No, that's not the word help here means in, 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 in Aramaic. In Hebrew, the word help means something that you cannot do for yourself. Right? 
in, in, the, in the Bible, God is described as a helper, which means it is only God who helps deliver Israel from their enemies. It is only God who, who, who helps Israel make their kingdom. God is a helper means it is no one else can do this but God. So when Eve says, I have given born to a man through the Lord's help, she means the Lord caused this baby man to be born out of me. It is the great work of the Lord. The baby number one was born. And she is celebrating. It's a miraculous kid. You know the Lion King? <gasps> right? This is a wonderful miracle that I'm holding, she's saying. The attitude, the Eve attitude of celebrating a human life is the attitude that all of us should have when we, when we look at another human being. Every human being here, the Lord has made. He has. It is well with the help of the living, living God. No, not it is the living God Himself who has planned you, who has formed you, who has willed you to be. And you are made in the image of God. And you deserve celebrating. Every human being is so precious because we're made in the image of God. A little bit of sidetrack, right? Have some time. A little bit of sidetrack. So when Pastor Eugene says, you know, people who have questions, you know, if, if God knew that Adam and Eve's going to stand, why did he not? Why did we? Why did he not, what, what did he say? What, what's the question? If God knew Adam and Eve would, would sin, why didn't he just program them not to sin, right? And Pastor Eugene like called me out and says, "Go talk to Pastor Jay." And I was ready for you. Oh, I go, who, who is it? Let me. Who is it? Right? I'm going to throw the Bible at you. Right? In a very loving way. So the question was, if God knew Adam and Eve would sin, why didn't he just like, program them so that they won't sin? And one of the, it's a very complicated answer, but one of the answers you need to consider is, if we are made in the image of God, which means we have a conscious. Our consciousness is we, we think, and we feel, and we act. That's what our consciousness does. And we have this consciousness. We have the ability to think and to feel and to make decisions. To, make, to exercise our wills. Because we're made in the image of God who does the same thing. God is, a man, God is a person of ultimate, God is a being of ultimate consciousness. God is the one who thinks, who plans, who acts, who wills. And because we're made in that, every one of us is made in that image, we too can think plan and feel and make decisions. If God programmed us to limit our free wills, then He's limiting our consciousness, which means we are, that design is contrary to the image of God. Does that make sense? Is it too philosophical? If you have any questions, come talk to me. I'll yell at you. The fact that the reason why God didn't interfere with man's free choice it's because he made man exactly like him, in the image of him. Who, and God makes free choices. God is not constrained to anything. And because we're made in that image, he gives us the ability to exercise our free wills. Limiting that 
is limiting our, our, our image, our, our, our image that we carry inside of us when we're made in the image of God. Anyway, that's a little bit of a sidetrack. Every single human being is made in the image of God. We have consciousness, and we, He formed us, and we are marvelously made, and every human being deserves to be celebrated. But what do we do? Rather than treating every human being valuable and celebrating them, what do we do? Our sinful nature comes, our self-deterministic sinful nature comes in. And what does our self-deterministic sinful nature do? Rather than celebrating and valuing human beings, in our minds we make a determination who is acceptable and who is not. Remember, sin, the root cause of sin is self-determination. And, in our, and the way we treat other people, rather than loving them and celebrating them, we determine whether they are acceptable or unacceptable in our minds. Isn't that that not true? I'm going to share something that can potentially get me fired. Here we go. So, I love commuting to work. I really do. And the reason I love commuting to D.C. is I get to, like, people in D.C., there's just many different characters, right? You just meet all different types of characters in the subway and you're walking the streets of D.C. And you know what I noticed about myself when I'm exposed to various different types of people, I judge them. In my mind, I make, in my mind, there's an acceptable crowd and an unacceptable crowd. And do you know how I judge people? The standard that I judge people? By the way they dress. I look at some people, I look at people, and I don't consciously think of it, just like thoughts come into my mind. I look at someone who's, if that person's well-dressed, I go, good job, yeah. That person is clean. That person is all right. When I look at people who are not dressed very well, I go, ew. He must be lazy. He doesn't have have that much respect for himself. I don't consciously think about it, but that's the emotion, like initial impulse that, that hits me. Acceptable people are people who are dressed well. Unacceptable people are the people who are not. By the way, I don't judge you. You guys all dress impeccably. You know, I, I, I know all of you, so it doesn't matter how you dress, because I know you. But the people that I don't know, strangers, there's an acceptable crowd, and there is an unacceptable crowd. Tell me you don't do that. Maybe you're not as vain as I am. Maybe you, your division of acceptable and acceptable is maybe it has to do with, I don't know, social, economic, education level. If you're educated a certain way, you're acceptable. If you, don't, if you didn't go to a good college, you're unacceptable. If you have a pretty, pretty cool job, then you're acceptable in my mind. If you don't have an acceptable job, you're unacceptable. Some people use race. If you're of certain color, you're acceptable. If you're not of certain color, you're unacceptable. Can't you see that's what people do all the time? I think it's not an exaggeration to say divvying up, judging people who are acceptable and unacceptable, we just, that is our everyday reality. When we're gossiping about people, 
You know what you're really doing? You're saying that person that you're gossiping about is unacceptable. It's some lower standard. That's what you're doing. People are getting hurt and damaged because of that. I, w- I was talking to a good friend of mine who is in the LGBT community. In the LGBT community, right, is perhaps media says that's the most disenfranchised, people who need protection, right? But I'm going to the, my friend who is in the LGBT community. Even within the LGBT community, there is this group of people. Everyone judges one another. You're, you're, you're not gay enough. You're not trans enough. You're, if you're bisexual, you're not a pure blood. Right? You're not thin enough. You're not femme enough. You're not butch enough. There is judgment going on in the LGBT community. Why? Because they're human beings. We determine who is acceptable and who is unacceptable, do we not? Can't you see you're and you and I are living that is the reality of sin that we're living in. And and we know that's evil. And you know doing that is so evil, don't you? How do you know? Example. Who if I say who is the like the most worst worst bad guy in the history of humanity? Who is that? You you tell me. Who is like number bad guy number one? Who is the Darth Vader of human history? Hitler. Hitler. Most people say Hitler, right? But I think my, my, my friend here is right. Mao Zedong killed 45 million of his own people, right? Because of his communist ideology, he killed 45 million people. Hitler didn't kill 45 million people. But Mao is not known as the, as the arch enemy of humanity. Hitler is. Why? Because Hitler killed the Jews. Hitler says this group of people is unacceptable, so this group of people must be eradicated. And because we know that's what he did, in our minds, he's more evil than Mao. He's more evil than Stalin, who killed far more people than him. Because inherently, we know dividing people, making people, determining people unacceptable is wicked. But that's what we do. Right? So what does this baby... So baby boy came. This miraculous baby boy. How does he turn out? He turns out to be the first murderer of humanity. And why did he become a first murderer of humanity? Once again, back to self-determinism. Let's unpack this. So after Cain was born, let's go to verse 2. Verse 2. And again, there we go. And again, she bore, Eve bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and, Abel and his offering, 
but God, but Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So after Cain was born, Abel was born, and they had two different jobs. You know this: Abel was a shepherd, right? His, he worked with sheep. Cain was a farmer. He worked with produce and fruits. And it, 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 and and both Cain and Abel worshipped God. Lifting up an offering of, to God means you worship Him, right? And so we know the story. God accepted Abel's offering, but God rejected Cain's offering. Why is that? And some people say it's because God prefers meat over vegetables. It's dumb. I'm so if you thought that way, that's just dumb. Okay, right? God, God is a meat lover. God hates vegetarians. No, right? It's not what they what they offered that makes a difference. Why God accepted it, but how they offered it. How did Abel offer his his? How did Abel offer his worship to the Lord? It says Abel, and if you look at Hebrews chapter eleven, it says Abel lifted up his offering in faith. What is faith? Faith is recognizing who God is, trusting in God because you know who He is, and giving Him what He deserves because you know who He is. Once again, faith is being persuaded by by no being persuaded by God and know who He is, and by knowing who He is, you trust Him, and by knowing who He is, you give Him what He deserves. And that is exactly the type of offering Abel lifted up. What did Abel lift up? Abel lifted up the first firstborn of his of, of his flock. Think about what the firstborn of the flock means. If you are a shepherd, your wealth is measured by the number of sheep, right? That first little baby sheep, lamb, right? Will potentially, like mother, I don't know how many sheep, baby sheep, the average sheep gives birth. Does anyone know? I think like ten, right? That firstborn can potentially like create ten other baby sheep. It's an investment. It's an initial investment. That firstborn is an initial investment. Can't you see? And if somehow your your flock gets wiped out, right? And if you don't have a baby sheep to reproduce, what happens? Your whole investment can go down. Lifting up a firstborn involves risk. It's like you get your first paycheck, you just give it all to the Lord. Right? It's a risk. And he's giving this firstborn sheep to the Lord. Why? Because Abel knew it is the Lord who provided that sheep to Abel. And because Abel knew that his life and his future is not in his investments, but is in the hand of the Lord. Abel knew in his mind his future is not determined by his size of his flock, but by the hand of the Lord. 
If the Lord chooses to bless him, so be it. If the Lord chooses to fail him, so be it. Abel completely trusted in God because Abel knew God. Not only did Abel lift up the first, first lamb, Abel lift up the fattiest portion of that lamb. The fattiest portion of the lamb, according to the Jews, is the best part of that lamb. Abel knew that God deserved the best because God is God. So to Abel, lifting up the firstborn lamb and the fattiest portion of that land was an expression of his faith in the living God. What did Cain do? Some fruits from his pile he gave to the Lord. Abel looked at his pile of corn or vegetables, he looked at it, and he goes, hmm. God deserves, let's see how much God deserves. God deserves maybe five bushels. Here you go, God. That's what he's doing, isn't he? His offering, when he's offering to the Lord, in his mind, he's determining what God deserves. He's not thinking about who God is. He's not thinking about, like, like, how God is responsible for everything. He's not thinking about it. He's thinking, you know, in my mind, I think this is what, what is fair to God, so I'm just going to give it to Him. He makes a determination of what is acceptable and unacceptable to God. That's what Cain is doing. Once again, self-determinism. I make my, I make my decisions... I'll, I, will, I will make my decisions of, of how much I'm going to commit to God. I'm going to draw a line. Right? You know, this is mine and this is God's. Right? As long as I give God that part of that line, I think God's going to be happy. Everything else belongs to me. Self-determinant, people of self-determining faith. There are a lot of Cain's in the body of Christ, I think. People like Cain set up in their minds of what God deserves. Yeah, but you make a picture in your mind about who God is. Yeah, but you make a picture in your mind of what what you think he thinks, what, what you think he will find acceptable, and you give it to him. Well, in my mind, God is only happy with me on, if I just show up on Sundays. This is the line. This is a Sunday line. As long as I give him the Sunday line, everything else belongs to me. Morality line. In my mind, I think, you know, this type of moral behavior is acceptable. And I think God agrees with me. So I'm not going to cross over that, that morality line. But as long as I, you know, do this thing, I think God's going to be okay with my sin. Isn't that what we, what we, what we do generally? Rather than knowing God for who He is and giving Him what He deserves, we make an image of God in our minds and we think and we, and, and we determine what He will find acceptable. And we just give Him the minimum. Our lives don't belong to God. Abel's life belongs to God. Because Abel knew God, and, and giving God what he deserved is the most natural thing. Many people don't do that. We give God the bare minimum. 
Because our lives do not belong to God. It belongs to us. Oh, Abel believed there was a God. Abel wasn't an atheist, right? Abel wasn't an atheist. I'm sorry, Cain wasn't an atheist. But Cain made a decision for himself of how much God deserves. Do you make that determination of how much God deserves? Is just God happy with you, you think? Just by you being here every Sunday and that's it? Getting your God filled? And all the rest of the other time in your life belongs to you. If you have that attitude, I am so sorry to say, you have a faith of Cain and not of Abel. In the church, you see people who are serving the church and God bless you for serving the church. But there are two different types of people who serve the church. The first type of people, they serve the church because they really do love the Lord. And there's a second type of people who serve the church because that makes them a good human being. And I'm not condemning anyone. But that's the description. What's the type of faith that we have? Do you have an able type of faith? Or do you have a Cain type of faith? Cain type of faith is not innocent. In fact, it is quite dangerous. Cain becomes angry, right? Because God accepted it. Cain becomes angry because God accepted Abel's offering, not his. Right? Isn't that, inter- isn't that interesting? Like, he's selfish, right? Like, he wants to keep his, like, majority of his, you know, food for himself. But he still gets mad because God accepted Abel's offering, not his. Isn't that messed up? And he knows, he knows in his mind that he's not really for God, and yet he gets so upset at God because he blesses Abel and not King, not his. Right? People, like, they're similar type of people. They don't, they have, they make no room for God in their lives, but they still want God to bless them. Isn't that weird? There's no obedience in their lives, there's no desire to seek Him, there's no desire to walk with Him, and yet we still want the blessing. We still want the acceptance. Isn't that crazy? There's no desire to serve Him or the church. There's no desire to know Him in His words. But we want the blessing. It's bizarre and sad and tragic. And that's what Cain is doing. Cain wasn't for God. But he still wanted God's acceptance. Let's go to the next verse. What is the next verse? Verse, verse 6. So the Lord knew that Cain was angry. Right? And the Lord warns Cain. Verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God knew Cain's jealousy and anger. And God calls Cain and says, Cain, get a grip. And he is telling, explaining to Cain the reality of life, reality of his heart. 
And what is the reality of his heart? He says, if you do well, you will be accepted. What does God mean when he says, if you do well? Doing well here means right action based on a right motive. Right? So if you, God is saying, if, you, if your action is based on your, your true knowledge of who I am, and your true worship of me, and your true love for me, if your action is based on your true knowledge of who I am and your love for me and your trust in me, and if you act in accordance to that trust and understanding of who I am, and your actions will be accepted. But, he says, but if your action, if you do the wrong action because you do not know me, you do not love me, or you do not trust me, then what's going to happen is there is this thing called sin waiting to dominate you. This is something that's very important what God is teaching us. He's saying, if you have the knowledge, true knowledge of God, and that true knowledge leads to your love and trust and actions to God, then you can overcome sin. But if you're ignorant of God, if you're ignorant of who He is, and if you don't trust Him, and if you don't love Him, what's going to happen to you? This thing called sin that is in you is going to start dominating you. Whether sin dominates you or not is whether you truly know God, and whether your, your actions are truly based on your love of God. If that happens, you will overcome sin. But if not, sin, like a beast in you, will dominate you. Your knowledge and love and trust in, in God is what rescues you from sin. If you're ignorant of Him, sin is going to dominate you and contaminate you and it's going to lead you to a destructive path. Why do we read the Word of God every day? Why do we fall? Our, why do we purposely put ourselves under the Word of God every day? It is so that we will know God. It is so that we will trust God. So that we will love God. So that we will overcome sin. But if you're ignorant of His Word, if you purposely take yourself away from, your, from who He is, I guarantee you, sin is just waiting to dominate you. What is a sin that dominated, dominated Cain? It is envy. Right? But maybe it's not envy for you. Maybe it's depression for you. Maybe it's lust for you. Maybe it's jealousy for you. Maybe it's hatred. There's some sin that is just waiting to have you. And when you start to be ignorant of God, it's going to leap out, it's going to contaminate you. I guarantee that's going to happen. Not doing your quiet time is more than just being disobedient. It is making yourself very vulnerable to sin. Do you understand? Sleeping, having a sleepy spirit is very dangerous for you and to the people around you. Cain here, 
He made a self-determination of what God deserves. Because he did not know God, nor did he choose to follow God. And what happens? Envy starts to dominate his heart. Hey, Cain, who does God think he is? Look at that little bit. It's your little brother. Your brother, little brother is accepted and you're not? Oh, envy. Do you know what it feels to envy someone? Do you know what it feels to envy someone? I do. I read somewhere that someone, we cannot, know, none of us can truly be happy with the success of other people. No one really can. Even though we say, oh, congratulations, you know when something good happens to you or me, you might say, oh, congratulations. But secretly, there's a little part of us that says, oh. You know, that's true. The thing that makes envy so dangerous is other people's successes reveals your failures, doesn't it? I have a friend, I had a buddy at my old company. Um, he's a year older than me. He has like two college-age kids. He said he had a dinner with one of his friends. And his friend's kids got into Harvard and UVA. And he said, I, and when I heard that, my heart sank. Because his kids go to a local Virginia school. Not George Mason, by the way. None of, none of the schools none of you went to. And he says, I, I, I felt such like a failure. Other people's successes reveals your failures, doesn't it? That's what makes envy so dangerous. Cain's envy was more than just being jealous of Abel's success. Abel's success, Abel's acceptance revealed to him his unacceptance. Abel's Righteous act revealed to him that his act was unrighteous. You know what I mean? And he just, just didn't like that. I'll give you an example. So I think I talked about this before. So like, and Daniel knows him. And, and Pastor Juan, who preached at our youth, like, retreat a couple of last summer, he's a very unique guy. He doesn't have a phone, right? He doesn't, he doesn't go to movies. He doesn't have Netflix. He doesn't, he doesn't go to art museums. He doesn't listen to secular music. He doesn't, he doesn't do anything that you or I do. Right? Because they're secular. And he doesn't preach about it. He just, that's his stand. Right? And what's weird, what's weird was, I observed him with my other congregation members. Not you guys, but my church before. And his making them uncomfortable. Not because he's, he's like yelling at them for watching a movie, but the fact that we know that he doesn't watch movies reveals to us that what we're doing is kind of wrong as Christians. He doesn't watch Game of Thrones because it's secular and violent and mean. And you go, oh, okay, that's cool. But if you see him every day, if his very existence is a rebuke of you watching Game of Thrones, he makes you very uncomfortable. And you know what people do? Behind his back, they make fun of him. 
A man who wants to, who wants to live obediently to the law of Christ. Fellow Christians make fun of him. Because they need to make fun of him. Why? They need to diminish him in their mind so that they will feel good about themselves. Right? Because he's a living rebuke to their sin. We need to belittle him to make us feel better about ourselves. That's what we do when we envy people. We belittle them. Because we can't bear it if we don't. Pastor Chuan's life is a rebuke of those who do not live righteously. And that is exactly the reason why the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead. The Pharisees were self-deterministic religious figures. In their mind, they determined what is acceptable and unacceptable, right? They think they were all that because they were the holy ones. They made the decision of what is good and bad. But here comes Jesus, the perfect human being. And when they're sitting next, standing next to him, his righteousness, his perfection reveals their sin and they can't bear it. So they need to kill him. That's what's happening in Cain's mind. Abel's acceptance, Abel's righteous act is a clear sermon against his unrighteous act. And therefore, Cain says, I cannot bear it. I need to kill that little punk. So he takes his brother to the field and he kills him. Because Abel's life is a rebuke against Cain's life. What is the root cause of all this? Once again, it's not envy. Envy is not the root cause. Envy is a symptom. The root cause is Cain was self-deterministic. He did not care for God. And because he did not care for God, envy started to dominate his heart. Romans chapter 1 agrees with this. Romans chapter 1, Paul makes a long list of sins. Envy, wickedness, strife, evil, lust, homosexuality. He makes all the list of all these sins. And Paul is saying, the root cause of all these wickedness is men and women do not know God, do not worship God, do not acknowledge God. And that's the root cause of all the sins in the world. And that's exactly what is happening to Cain. You being merely religious, having a faith of Cain, you are allowing sin to dominate you. Do you understand? And he killed the Abel. Let's go, let's look at the verse first. Verse 9. The Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? Did the Lord not know what, he, what, what, what was happening? Did the Lord say, where's your brother at? God asked questions. Because he knew exactly what happened. And he asked Cain this question, where is your brother? Oftentimes when God asks questions to the people in the Bible, he's asking them to reveal so that, so that these people whom the question is addressed to will know exactly what they have done. Oftentimes, God asks you questions 
oftentimes it is by the grace of God He lets you go through difficult times. He lets you reap the consequences of your sin so that you will see exactly what you have done. I was at a marriage counseling couple of a couple of like months ago. And they were like, these two couples were on the verge of divorce. Not, there's none of them that you know. And, and the husband did something. And he's causing his wife such sadness. He's watching his wife being deteriorated, deteriorating in front of his eyes because of the stupid things that this guy has done. And he is looking at his wife crying and being, being like, being dissolving as a human being. And it is causing that guy such remorse. Oftentimes, God lets you reap the consequences of your sin so that you will see exactly what you have done. And that's the question that God is asking, Cain, what have you done? What have you done? Maybe the thing that you're going through right now Maybe the difficulties that you're going through right now, maybe God is asking the same question. What have you done? What's Cain's answer? Where is your brother? Did he tell the truth? Like Adam, Adam at least told the truth, right? God asked Adam, what have you done? God says, Eve, the woman that you placed me in the garden, let me do this. It's kind of messed up, but it's the truth. What did Cain do? I don't know. He lies. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? He lies. Proverbs twelve twenty two says, God, his lying lips are an, an abomination. You know what abomination? It's not just hatred. It's like, Ooh, I'm just so disgustingly hate, hate. That's what an abomination is. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. God hates liars. By the way, lawyers are not liars. Lawyers zealously represent their clients. God hates liars. Not only did Cain kill his little brother, he lied about it. So what does God do? Judgment. Verse 10. Verse 11. Right? Okay, let's go to verse, I'm sorry, verse 10. Verse 10. The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood and from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its, its strength. So what is the first curse that God, the first judgment that God passes on to Cain is this. Because Abel's blood, because you hit Abel's body in the ground, and because the ground that you worked on before is contaminated with Abel's blood, from now on, that ground that you worked on is cursed. You will no longer bear fruit from that ground. You will be a failure, he says. But if you think about it, that judgment is kind of just. Right? Because he killed his brother and buried him in the ground, that ground is cursed. The judgment that Cain receives is a natural consequence to his actions. When God passes judgment on people, 
It is not unfair judgment. It is the most natural consequence to the sin. Abel, Cain killed his brother out of the jealousy of his own, because his fruit got rejected, and he killed his brother on the ground. Therefore, that ground is cursed. Not only that, God says, you'll be a wanderer. You'll be a fugitive, which means no one's going to love you. No one's going to love you. Isn't that natural? He killed the human life. Therefore, he should be cut off from other humanity. That's just. There are consequences to our sin. The greatest lie that Satan told Adam and Eve is there is no consequence to your sin. That is wrong. What you do will reap results. And it is the most natural, and, and when God judges you, it is the most natural thing in the world for, you to, for, you to, for us to endure that judgment. What does Cain say? Cain knew that God found out. Cain knew God's judgment was just, right? Did Cain say, Lord, I'm sorry? I'm, I'm so sorry? What did Cain do? Let's go to verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. What does this mean? He doesn't say, I'm sorry. What does he mean? He goes, oh, this is, your punishment is too great. It's unfair. I can't bear it. Poor me. He doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't say, you are right. He doesn't say any of that. He says, oh, poor me. Your punishment is too much for me to bear. Let's just review what's happening. Cain killed his little brother. Cain lied about it. And rather than repenting, he has self-pity. He believed that? What punk? If I were God, what would you do? If I were God, I would say, you ungrateful little man, and I'm just going to like smite him. And Cain said, oh, this, this punishment is too much for me to bear. People are going to kill me. Oh no, poor me. Rather than just slapping that guy silly. God shows grace. Doesn't he? What is the grace? Verse 15, the Lord said, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance should be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, that anyone who found him should, be, should attack him. The Lord puts a mark on Cain so that people will not kill him or harm him. Can you believe that? Cain killed the righteous Abel who knew the Lord, who loved the Lord. Cain killed his own brother and lied about it. And not only that, Cain's not even repenting about it. But rather than killing Cain, he saves his life. Isn't that messed up? Isn't that unjust? Who's going to venge Abel? You know? Christ is going to Christ is going to avenge Abel. That's the grace. Look. We all 
we all, like Cain, are self-deterministic. And we all, like Cain, make decisions for what is acceptable and unacceptable, especially in relation with God. And therefore, we let sin have its way with us. We let sin dominate us. We let sin, we're so friendly with sin, sin doesn't feel like sin, right? It feels like our, our good friend. And we hurt the people around us, and we, and we cause so much damage. And so therefore, we deserve judgment, and that's true. But rather than, rather than us going, rather than us being judged, who is, who, who is judged instead? Jesus Christ is judged on our behalf. Isn't that crazy? Jesus Christ is the able figure, right? Abel like, worshipped God perfectly because he knew who God was and he gave everything to God. And so did Christ. He is the perfect son. He is the perfect man. He, if he is the perfect man, and he deserves a reward. He deserves honor. He really does because he, like, poured out his life for God the Father. Abel got acceptance from God. What did Jesus get for his obedience? He got rejection from God on the cross. Did he not? Abel's offering was accepted because he was lifted up with faith. Christ lived his life on faith and what waited for him on the cross was not acceptance. It was rejection. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? On that cross, the reward for his obedience is rejection from God. Isn't that crazy? Cain. Cain was shown grace. Cain says, oh, poor me, people are going to kill me. So God protected Cain, an unrepentant, lying, murderous liar. God gave him grace. On the cross, was Jesus shown that grace? No. God allowed men to murder and destroy and tear Christ apart. Jesus, for his perfect obedience, did not get the grace that God showed Cain. No, on the contrary, he got the wrath of God. Why? So that you and I won't get that wrath, wrath of God. I think the reason why Cain was shown grace, because the evil that Cain did was poured on Christ on the cross. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, became dirty, disgusting, was a source of vengeful wrath against God, so that you and I will have to we don't have to endure, endure it. That's the grace of God, you know. And that's what makes you Christian if you believe in that. When I was in seminary, I had a seminary professor. In my mind, he was so holy. He was so holy that I just couldn't talk to him. Have you ever like, met, met people like that? Well, no. But he was so holy in my mind. I go, oh, I can't even, I'm too unworthy to be, to be near him. Usually I could talk to anyone, but him I, I couldn't talk to because I, was, I felt so holy. I thought he was perfect. Right? And 
I think Peter had a similar encounter when he, when he was with Jesus. When he was with Jesus, the first time he met Jesus, Jesus was so holy. Oh, I'm so holy. Lord, go away from me. The Pharisees wanted him dead, like I said, because he was so holy and because he was so perfect. It reminded them of his imperfection. Oh, Jesus was a spotless person. But that spotless person was torn to pieces was rejected by God so that you will not be torn to pieces, so that you will not be rejected by God, so that God can be in your life. Do you know that? Look, I I think I shared this with uh, Arlington small group. I love prayer. I, I really love praying. And I'm not saying because I'm a pastor because I have to, but I really enjoy prayer. I really, it's like the most addicting thing for me. And the best part of prayer for me, right, is not when I yell, I yell at you, I yell, yell about you with God. I really do. But that's not the best part. Lord, that's my oh! The best part is, I remember who God is. And I tell him who he is. And I also remember what a horrible toad I am. I say, Lord, in me, there's a seed of adultery. There's a seed of murder. There's a seed of slander and, and, and a thief and a liar. And I, and I think that's really true. The reason I'm not a murderer or an adulterer right, is because, by God's grace, the, I, have, I, have a, I have a tremendous potential to be a horrible human being. But having full knowledge of my horribleness, I am still at the right side of God and not on the wrong side of God. Because Jesus Christ has died for me. And by dying for me, I am made righteous with God. I am fully aware of my sins. But I am also fully aware that I am on the right side of God because of what Christ has done. And that understanding gives me with such, filled me with such joy that it makes me want to be a better human being. That's what it means to be a Christian. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you truly know what it means to be on the right side of God because of Jesus Christ? Not just, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. Not that superficial, just meaningless type of thing. But in a real sense of who you are, do you really know that? I think sin is dominating you because you don't know that if you don't know it. Why is sin dominating you? Because you don't know that you're on the right side of God because of Jesus Christ. You may think you know. But maybe you don't. And when you're in Christ, the great part of being in Christ means the sin that once dominated you, it doesn't dominate you anymore. Do I get envious? Yeah, of course I get envious. Especially when someone preaches better than I do. Oh, that guy. But envy doesn't dominate me. Do I feel the tempt to lust? Of course. I'm a red-blooded man. But it doesn't dominate me. It doesn't. Because I get to know who God is because of Christ. Is that you? 
what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. Letting not sin dominate you because you know the living Lord. I hope and I pray that you will have genuine faith so that you will not be like Cain, that you will have an able-like faith. Let us pray.